This morning, we uh, continue in our series called Grace Stories. These are real-life accounts of struggles, faith, doubts, brokenness, unbelief experienced by normal people just like you and me sitting next to you here at Grace Redeemer Church. Each story involves different family backgrounds, different circumstances. Each story unfolds along different paths, but as we've had the privilege of listening to over 40 grace stories over the years, over and over, so many of you have come to me and said, that story or that chapter of his or her story is just like mine. Different as they are, there's always a strand that strikes us as familiar, resonates with us because it's part of our story. Last week, David and Rochelle shared a a unique chapter in their recent story, how God used a serious car accident to draw them to Himself in greater intimacy, how He used that car accident to reveal Himself and His glorious purposes in their lives more clearly. Today, Shelley Hahn is ready to share her story. There's no car accident, there's no broken bones, but at the core of her lifelong story, there's a broken heart of a little girl. But God, we like to say at Grace Redeemer Church, those are gospel words, but God, the only perfect heavenly Father, is mending that broken heart through the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Good morning. I am the second of two daughters born to two physicians who met during the Korean War. The day before I was born, my father left for America for more medical training. I didn't meet him for the first time until I was six years old when my mother's sister and I came to join him in New Jersey. A year later, my father left us and moved to another state and eventually remarried. He wanted very little interaction with my sister and me. I can count on my fingers the number of times I saw him since then. Growing up as an Asian immigrant in the 60s and 70s, here in Jersey and later in Pennsylvania, I always felt different from everyone else. The frequent teasing and bullying by other children, which never ended. Even through high school, were painful and demeaning and kept reinforcing my sense of not belonging. My father's rejection of me further eroded my self-image where I felt unlovable, unwanted, and ugly. Over time, I blamed all my problems on him. To compensate for my perceived deficiencies, I tried to be morally blameless and academically successful. I became a stereotypical, quiet Asian who never got into trouble, did well in school, but was socially awkward, pleasant on the outside, but full of fears and insecurities on the inside. I became self-sufficient and independent with very few friends. I had to make it appear that everything was fine, leading me to become a perfectionist, not willing to show any weaknesses, not willing to do anything I couldn't do well. I was... It was lonely being a perfectionist because I couldn't ask for help and let people see my shortcomings. Though I prided myself 
on the fact that I was always honest. I was presenting a dishonest, dishonest image of myself and perceived my, and deceived myself into believing that image. I followed all the rules and did what I thought were all the morally right things. I was a self-righteous perfectionist, blind to my true state, believing that I was truthful and right. I criticized and belittled those who were closest to me. I didn't realize I was doing this, though some people saw it. I didn't know I was a perfectionist, sincerely denying it when I was told I was one. Although we attended church growing up, it wasn't until my freshman year in college that I understood the gospel. Through a campus ministry, I learned that I could do nothing to gain God's approval because I was a sinner, and the penalty for sins was death. The solution was provided by Jesus, who died on the cross in my place, to save me from the penalty of my sins. He was without sin and perfectly righteous. That righteousness was given to me when, by faith, I accepted this gift of salvation, thereby becoming a child of God, able to enjoy all the benefits of being in a relationship with God. How incredible is that? But I did not feel the wonder of it all. The amazing thought that the Creator God would want to be in a relationship with me did not move me. I knew that salvation was by grace through faith and that living the Christian life meant walking by faith. But I lived as if the Christian life meant following rules. My relationship with God grew very little. In my head, I knew God loved me, but I could not say I loved God in return. I didn't realize my heart was close to him, preventing me from having a relationship with him. Therefore, I changed very little, and I was still a self-righteous perfectionist. My motivation for almost everything was to be right and to do the right thing rather than the loving thing. My self-righteousness still caused me to sin, especially against those closest to me, my husband, my children, and my sister. And I was still blind to my sins. I still had my fears and insecurities. I wanted God to change me into a confident and well-adjusted woman, but I didn't change. Now as I look back, I wonder if I actually was saved, though there were times when I experienced what I thought were the Holy Spirit's direction, comfort, and love. I forgave my father in a letter and in my mind. However, the bitterness, anger, and blame remained. It is obvious now that the forgiveness did not come from the heart, but was done as something I was supposed to do, something that is expected of a Christian, just following the rules. Therefore, it was not real forgiveness. Then one day, about 30 years later, a pastor helped me to let go of the anger, bitterness, and blame against my father and to really forgive him. Two, two days later, innumerable sins I committed against my families. Sins I had been blind to swept over me and overwhelmed me to tears. The guilt of my sins was unbearable. Then almost immediately, the thought of the forgiveness Jesus offered from the cross drove away this, the guilt and for the first time, I tearfully experienced the joy of the Lord. I was no longer blind to my sins, and I understood also for the first time the enormity of God's love for me. And I began to love my Lord. I understood what Jesus said about the sinful woman who anointed his feet with oil. Her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who was forgiven little loves little. Until then, I didn't think I needed much forgiveness since I didn't think I really sinned. I 
never understood why all of a sudden, out of the blue, God showed me my sins, and I saw them as sins. I now think that when I forgave my father, I was freed from the power he held over my heart to dictate who I was. When my father was no longer the master of my heart, God became the master, and he lovingly showed me my sins and his immeasurable grace. I was able to take on the identity given to me as the new creation in Christ. I began to change, mostly slowly and imperceptibly, but definitely change. I began to heal from my old wounds. I asked those I sinned against for forgiveness. I started to take the focus off myself and turn it toward God and asked him to use me to love and help other people, people I wanted to love because God loved them. I saw that there are variations of my story in many people and brokenness and assorted forms in others. There are people who carry wounds of the heart for years and are trapped in a pattern of sin all their lives as I was. The pastor at my old church used to say that a church is a hospital full of broken people. God gave me the desire to take counseling courses to help the broken people. More than 10 years later, this desire started to become reality when I completed my first online course at CCEF this summer. CCEF is an organization that offers resources and, and training in biblical counseling and is affiliated with Westminster Seminary in Philadelphia. I, looked, I look forward now to taking the remaining 11 certificate courses. For perfectionism and self-righteousness are still problems for me. However, I see how much God has um, changed me because my great story today is different from what I would have presented a few years ago. And part of that change is my willingness to expose things that I religiously tried to hide. I am able to do this because I am no longer defined by what other people think or by what they did to me. I am defined by what God thinks of me and what he's done for me. In 1 Peter 2.9, God tells me, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. I wanted God to change me, but he did far beyond what I could have imagined. This is who I am, along with all believers, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, no longer blind, but living with purpose in his marvelous light. I know there are other people like me who are perfectionists with self-righteous tendencies, especially among high achievers in this metro New York area. Come talk with me or any of our other counselors here at GRC about your struggles. Don't wait 30 years like I did. Oh, Lord, Shelley is truly one of your trophies of grace. Through her brokenness, you have revealed the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Through her pain, you've revealed the healing, resurrecting, restoring, renewing power that is still at work among us. Enable your Holy Spirit to deepen this work, broaden it, enable it to spill out from Shelley's life to others, especially as she seeks to be equipped for that purpose, Lord. 
cause this story to resonate in many minds and hearts that there would be not 30 years of waiting, but a moment before repentance and surrender and tasting the freedom that Jesus alone can bring. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When I uh, first read Shelley's draft of her story, I quickly thought of Galatians chapter 5. Let me read the first two verses and then uh, make the connection with her story. This is what the Apostle Paul says, "'It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery.'" This is God's Word. You've been freed for freedom, is what the Apostle Paul says. It's sort of strange, uh, but his next statement explains why in this letter to the Galatians. People say they've trusted Jesus for their salvation. That's freedom. But they're still acting as if they have this yoke, this burden on them. Paul's saying, you used to be enslaved. The question is, by whom? Actually, the question is, by what? And the answer is, by a sense that religion, that what you do for God, that how you perform before God is what gives you security, is what affirms a positive sense of self, is, is ultimately what brings you salvation. That's what the Galatians used to be enslaved by this wrong-headed notion of how a relationship with God is forged and maintained and strengthened. Don't go back there, Paul says. Shelley's story resembles this picture. Uh, I want to connect some details of her story with this picture of faith confusion. And, and, And as you just heard, her story is just chock full of all kinds of spirit provided insights that she now has looking back 30 plus years. Her early years were obviously painful and disorienting, fatherless until age six, effectively speaking. And then after they reunited with her dad, he abandoned the family. The heart of a little girl, broken in the confusion and hurt like so many victims, she blamed herself. She concluded things about herself in light of her father's rejection, and sadly, the bullying at school only served to reinforce those wrong-headed thoughts of self. I don't belong. I'm unloved, unwanted. I don't think I'm significant. I'm fearful and insecure, especially in relationships. Some of those phrases get at the roots of your own story, don't they? How did Shelley cope with this kind of pain? Well, she shaped her own identity through a, a combination of moral effort and worldly success. She was the good kid, the good student, the good churchgoer. And again, this should strike us as very familiar because this kind of deep self-reliance is always the default sin pattern of the human heart. It's underneath Adam and Eve's rebellion against God. I will go my own way. I will choose for myself what is good, what I can pursue. Um, It's 
behind the, the picture in Genesis 11 of, of the Tower of Babel, humanity working together, striving to make a name for itself, deluded into thinking that uh, humanity can become like God, and that was judged. It is a righteousness that self-generates. By the way, I, I talk about self-righteousness all the time in counseling. Most people are like, no, 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 that, that's not me. And part of my job as a pastor is to explain how it absolutely is at the root of every sin that we commit. We are, when we sin, at root self-righteous because we're choosing for ourselves what's best. We're, we're thinking that we are the ones who have truth, rightness, uh, moral goodness, wisdom to decide whatever path we pursue. And, and two statements from Shelley's story stuck out to me as what I'll call the image management of a perfectionist. Image management. She said, I had to make it appear that everything was fine. She added that she didn't want to do anything that she couldn't do well because failure would expose her true self to anyone around her who was watching. She added this, I, I was presenting a dishonest image of myself, and I deceived myself into believing that image. I think we'd all do well to look in the spiritual mirror and apply those words to our own lives. I was presenting a dishonest image of myself and deceived myself into believing that image. So when people pointed out things, she denied it. it I don't think she was lying. She truly didn't believe that those were true statements about her. That's true about other people, but not me. It's the self-deception of sin. This is such striking insight into the heart that I'd have to say that just that level of Spirit-provided eyesight into a lot of the roots of her heart struggles, that in itself is a grace story. That in itself is a testimony to the, to the work of God all of these years later to enable Shelley to be able to notice these things, let alone share them publicly with us. And, and that's what the Spirit does. It not only shine light into darkness and expose what is there, but ideally provide courage to admit it, to face it head on, to look to the only solution that is able to bring freedom, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. I hope the connection to Galatians 5 is coming into focus. For 30 years, Shelley lived, we could say, quote, burdened by a yoke of slavery. She lived the Christian life, but her understanding of that was, I'm a good person. I follow all the rules. She was enslaved by that goodness, enslaved by a sense that she could right the wrongs in her world, that she could uh, make up for all the pain that she suffered. And the, the cycle that she was locked into meant that she was unaware of the pain she was inflicting on the people closest to her all at the same time. Shelley's decades-long unforgiveness ironically allowed her father's sin to continue to exert its corrosive, decaying, deadening impact on her life. She wrote a letter of forgiveness, she said, but, quote, it didn't come from the heart. It was something I was supposed to do just following the rules. Looking back in retrospect, she was able to see that wasn't real biblical forgiveness. Take a look at the spiritual equation 
salvation equals Christ plus N. That's a fully biblical, gospel-saturated example of spiritual math, as long as N equals zero. And it's almost more helpful to put plus N realizing that N equals zero because we need to remind ourselves, reaffirm, press more deeply into our hearts that salvation equals Christ plus nothing. There's nothing. That's the gospel. Shelley heard this, and she understood it, at least up here in college. She was exposed to the, the true biblical gospel. She said, I learned that I could do nothing to gain God's approval because I was a sinner. The solution was provided by Jesus who died on the cross in my place. He was without sin and perfectly righteous, and I received His righteousness when I accepted this gift by faith. She knew this when she was exposed to it in her college years, but her instinctive mistake was a common one. So often we so easily slip something into that equation, and so N equals my good character, N equals my efforts at serving other people. I was in church. I, I volunteered. I gave. It is ultimately N equals the name that I make for myself, which is nothing new under the sun. It's that default sin pattern when we fall back on self. When N equals anything that you do, you naturally take the credit. Sure, Jesus has an important job, that dying on the cross business you give him a high five, you're a partner with Jesus, but the one you really lean on in this default sin pattern is yourself. That's not just an unhealthy gospel. That is no gospel at all. That is the anti-gospel, and that leaves you burdened again by a yoke of slavery. That is not freedom. Shelley had been exposed to freedom in Christ. She, she was taught these things but she continued to believe that N equals her religious goodness, and it is never enough when you operate under that equation. And so, it makes sense that she tells us she had no joy in the Lord all those years, because when you're burdened with something that you were never created to, to, to bear up under, your own salvation, your own meaning, your own happiness, your own healing for all of the brokenness that you've experienced, it's misery not joy, but God. Amen is right. He intervened after one day, about 30 long years later. And my guess is that that visiting pastor didn't share any any truth that she hadn't already heard. It's just that by the mercy of God, through His initiative, through His working of His Holy Spirit in that moment, Shelley even said, I don't know why. It was then, and it was that way. But through God's initiative, she was able to see the truth about her sinful heart. She had been blind, but now she could see. I didn't remember that we were singing the song this morning. But do you, do you realize that when we sing that line from Amazing Grace… I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. That is the goodness of God to grant you Spirit-filled eyes, starting with enabling you to see yourself as you really are, 
That's the goodness of God. That, that is mercy and grace at the heart of the gospel. Do you realize how dark and black your sinful heart really is? That's blessing. Why? Because when you realize the depth of that and your desperate need for forgiveness, the Holy Spirit is right there to point you to the cross of Jesus Christ. And then you see the greater glorious reality that Jesus has satisfied every penalty that your sin deserves. Here's the scary thing. When that happens, and in particular applying it to Shelley's story, what she was now able to see about herself in all of its clarity, Spirit-provided clarity, it was actually far worse than the negative thoughts she had concluded about herself in the wake of her father's abandonment and in response to the bullying at school. It wasn't the, the fluff of positive thinking, pop psychology that says, no, 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 you are wonderful. You're perfect just the way you are. No, the gospel starts, the blessing of God starts by saying, you're actually worse than you thought you were. You have every reason, more reason than you actually realize to wallow in condemnation and pity and hopelessness and despair, but God the Spirit doesn't leave you there. Forgiveness through faith in Jesus Christ is the greater reality that the Spirit enables you to see. The lower low that God brings you to runs right into resurrection power, and it's raised to newness of life. The thought, she said, of the forgiveness Jesus offered from the cross drove away the guilt. If God brought her to a lower low, you're actually worse than you thought. Jesus drove it away. And for the first time, I tearfully experienced the joy of the Lord. I was no longer blind to my sins, and I understood also for the first time the enormity of God's love for me. You know when people say, you know, I don't like Christianity because it People want to make you feel bad about yourself. There's actually some truth to that. But the resistance to that path, to to at least get on the beginning of that path, is because so many of us want to maintain that self-salvation, that self-glory. If if I feel worse about myself, it is that much more difficult to make a name for myself, to solve my own problems. I'm not going there. The gospel does say, come into these doors and we're going to make you feel worse about yourself. But it doesn't stop there. It says, when you realize the helplessness of your condition, that's when you cast yourself at the foot of the cross and embrace true freedom, absolute forgiveness, mercy from God through Jesus Christ. And you taste something that you can never generate for yourself. Christ-righteousness replaces self-righteousness. Please don't just treat Shelley's story as inspirational. It is that, but it's so much more. Don't just marvel at her deep personal insights. Instead, here's how you can honor God and let this grace story change you. Consider how your life might reflect some of the same patterns of being burdened by a yoke of slavery. 
Some of you here today, maybe many, would say that you believe that God rewards good people and He punishes bad people. And of course, you're not among the bad people. At least you're trying not to be. You're a law-abiding citizen. You're a good family person, a polite neighbor, a reliable friend, and going to church helps your cause that God would be pleased with you. But that can't produce real joy. That will not lead you to any taste of real and lasting freedom. You were never created to bear that burden of saving yourself. It is impossible. For many of you, you don't question whether or not you're a Christian. Neither did Shelley for 30 years. Here are questions from her story that I would say are spiritually helpful and often revealing for any of us to ask ourselves. Here's your homework, all right? Do you know the wonder of salvation in Jesus Christ? And that's the best word I can think of, wonder. Do you know the wonder of salvation? Even if you've known these things for for your entire life, decades and decades, it is so unfathomable that there must be wonder that continues to grow. Do you rest in God's love for you? Do you marvel at it? And do you love Him in return? A cold heart for 30-plus years is a strong indicator that maybe you don't. Maybe it's here. Does your sin ever break your heart? Does it ever move you in the depths of your being? Whether or not you overflow with external emotion. Your, your instinct might say, well, no, I, that's not how I'm, I'm built. That, that, that's not my personality. That's, that's not how I process things. And, but it has nothing to do with any kind of personality patterns. The question is whether the Spirit of Jesus Christ is at work in you opening your eyes to see yourself as you really are, and the Spirit never stops there, opening your eyes to see the the full glory of Jesus Christ. One of the scariest things to consider is how many people in this sanctuary where the gospel is preached over the years will think you are believers in Jesus when you are not. That's a scary thought to behold when you've gone to church every Sunday you're in town for decades and decades and decades, like Shelley Hahn. If you're burdened with a sense of performance and duty, but no taste of freedom and wonder. Here's the invitation Shelley and I together would extend to you. Come to Jesus. Lay at the foot of the cross your goodness your righteous acts, with which Isaiah the prophet would call filthy rags, because they do not merit anything before a holy God. Cast yourself upon Him, surrender to Him, and see that He has accomplished for you what you could never accomplish in your strongest and wisest day, and receive it all as a gift of faith, salvation in Christ. And she said, come and talk to us after the service. Ask questions. Wrestle 
wherever you are on your spiritual journey, whatever chapter of your grace story is unfolding, we would love to point you to the Savior. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, the wonder of what you have done at Calvary in history 2,000 years ago outside Jerusalem, may that never fade. May it only grow more and more prominent in each of our lives that the things of this earth would grow strangely dim, that our lesser goals, our false identities, the, the purposes that we're deluded into thinking characterize our lives would, would, would fade into irrelevance, that we would all be about Your glory and Your glory alone, Jesus. You are the King of all kings. You will reign when every other so-called king and ruler is gone, and Your glory will never fade. Draw us into that glory. Give us spirit eyes to see. We pray in Your name, Jesus. Amen.